Well, Casey, I think gone are the days when I can pass as a college student. Our text from Ephesians in the lectionary today, and really Jeremiah as well, share a theme of inheritance. And I'd like to begin this morning by sharing a story of inheritance from my own life. It's, it's sort of difficult to stand back now and think of my conversion day, if you want to call it that, as being so long ago. I, I came to faith late in life at the age of 18, sitting in a college dorm room. And to now think that I've been alive longer than I was before I made that decision is a little daunting. I'm, I'm getting older. But to, to know more of that story, we would have to go a year back before I came to faith. And I was sitting in Memphis, Tennessee in an all-night youth retreat. And one of the people who had invited us finally said those words, have you ever accepted Christ into your heart? Well, I had never, to my knowledge, actually been asked that question. And I sat and I thought about it. I took stock of my life earnestly and I thought, from what I know of Jesus now, there's a few things in my life that really shouldn't be there. And I kind of want them to stay there, so no, I'm not a Christian, and no, I do not want to be one. Well, a lot happened between the, that year of when I sat in that, I think it was a hockey rink when he asked that question, and when I sat in my college dorm room of December 3rd, 1998. As some of you know, probably most of you know, the ways that God works are mysterious, and how God drew me too, God's self, was quite peculiar. When you're in those moments, they seem almost kind of moments of auspicious serendipity. But looking back, you maybe can see dots and, and begin to trace the lines of where you think you see God working, or at least in our understanding. I'd like to offer a few of those. There was that moment when I had a life-altering injury. You see, I went to college on a running scholarship, and that was paying my tuition. It was a private institution. And there was no way I could stay if I couldn't keep running. So suddenly there I was, unable to run, to do what I had came to do, because I was not there for learning. <laughs> let's, be, let's make that clear. <laughs> and, and, and also, I had began to identify myself very deeply with what I could accomplish as a runner. And so here it was, gone. And so suddenly, self-reflection. And, and, and also, I was at a Christian university, which is interesting. But God works in mysterious ways. If I go back a little further... There was that soon-to-be fateful day when two high school uh, juniors who were about to be seniors came to the middle school track and sought me out and said, you've been doing pretty good. Maybe you should run cross-country. And I said, well, that's interesting. What is it? They told me about it. I said, well, that doesn't sound very interesting. When is it? They said, it's during the fall. I said, no, the fall is when soccer takes place, and that is very fun. I will be doing that and not just running. I share that because obviously between that time and when I went to high school, other events happened and I can't tell you to this day why I chose to run cross country instead of playing soccer because one of them is very fun. But I did and God used that in my life to get me to that other point. There are other such events as these that worked into the mysterious ways as God worked in my life to prepare me. We can all look back and see moments where God has been doing those kinds of things. We have that valuable gift of hindsight now where we look back and see that and say, oh, that's what God was doing. And yet I still believe that when we glimpse these moments of what the ingenious alchemist has been doing in our lives, preparing for us a way, we still get just but a small amount of the wonder of the transformative and redemptive powers that God has been working in our lives. The verses 
from the lectionary read to us those Ephesians verses very well, and I just want to read that 11th and 12th verse again so that we can keep it in our minds. And they read, In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. Now again, in reading these verses and then the ones from Jeremiah 37 from our lectionary for today, I was struck by the narrowness and the broadness of our stories of inheritance. Mostly from what I've been sharing, I've given you a very narrow glimpse so far, and I would like to broaden that a little bit. And I'm going to do so first by asking a question. Have you ever felt the Holy Spirit confirm something in your life? A moment where you just know deep in your bones that God has been doing something, and God allows you for some reason to see that. It's not a question, it's not a wonder, you just know. When I, when I came to faith, a lot of the people around me were doing mission trips, and so I went on a mission trip, and I did what they told me to do. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. They said, write letters to your friends and family to raise this insurmountable amount of money that you need to buy plane tickets and all this kind of thing. So I did, and my parents were gracious, and they gave me all these names of relatives I barely knew, friends, and, and I mean, they were very gracious. I sent all these letters out. Well, one came back from a relative I really didn't know, maybe a great aunt or somebody, I mean, I'm not even sure, and in it was a note with a check for $25, and the note said something to the effect of, it's wonderful to see the promises of God being fulfilled in your life. I can still remember when your great-grandfather and your grandfather prayed for you to receive Christ the day you were born in the hospital room. As I read those words, every hair on my body stood up, and the Holy Spirit confirmed, this is connected to that. Your story is not your own. It is also their story. And in that was this wonderful gift. I didn't know my great-grandfather or my grandfather very well. I think they both died before I was six years old or around that age. But it was as if I was able to give them a hug. I could see an image of them in the hospital room and, and give them one of those hugs, one of those pre-COVID hugs that go on for as long as you want them to. The glimpse of my inheritance widened. And I'm sure that I could share with you for days stories like these and while they would uplift me and ameliorate my soul, I do acknowledge that my stories just might be more important to me than they are to you. But I would like to take this opportunity to encourage you to perhaps take today or the next week or even throughout the month the moment to find someone else and share with them stories in your life where God has brought you to a moment like that. Stories of inheritance where God confirmed or the Holy Spirit just allowed you to know. As the newest member on the staff at First Baptist, I would love the opportunity to get to know you in that way. What, how, how better way to get to know someone than to sit down over coffee, even though you have to put your mask back on real quickly or whatever, and to sit and listen to your stories of inheritance. I really do want that to happen, so call up or email me or whatever you need to do to find me after service, whenever. If we move back to our text from Ephesians, we can see that Paul is talking to just the church at Ephesus, but I would like to move our glimpse of inheritance to the entire Christian community, if we will. If we're honest, we, we know that there's even more difficulty to understand God's will when it comes to the Christian community. I mean, if you read church history, you'll find a lot of questions and really major concerns will come up. And no matter what theological or expositional acrobatics we manage to do, the writers of our sacred texts, such as Paul, will often elude us in the meaning of their message simply because they're not us and we are not them. 
Even the words that they use, be they the same, have different meaning to them. And I say this to emphasize that whenever we look for the meaning of the mystery of God's will, as Paul refers to it in the text today, we do so carefully and in the full knowledge that we are wanderers hoping that the Holy Spirit will reveal a direct truth to us. I believe that's precisely where the disciples in the early church found themselves after the death, of Je- death and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, you see Jesus tell the disciples things for years, and they understood very little of it. We know that because Scripture tells us they didn't understand anything he said. And then Jesus is crucified and dies in a way that nobody expects, and they're confused. And after that, Jesus shows up resurrected, walking through walls. What is going on? How did he do it? I think that it's good to be reminded that in spite of all our familiarity and assuredness that we often bring to our understanding of our faith, to Christianity, and our inheritance in Christ, that that inheritance is anything but a thing fully understood by anyone. And I think that's okay. In fact, we as Baptists have the unique opportunity to stand in that mystery and utter those three words that most Christians find to be so alarming, especially from a pulpit. I don't know. Well, our lives shift, things change, we take new jobs, people come in and out of our lives, and one concern that most of us tend to have is what the great mystery is doing with our future. What will our inheritance look like as we move forward and take another step? We never quite know what to expect in the future. One of my seminary professors, Dr. John Claypool, loved to share this story with his classes, and I'm sure that some of you have heard it, but it bears repeating, and I just like it. But there's this ancient Chinese tale that talks of a farmer who lived on a farm, and he had basically his son and his horse were his main two uh, you know, vehicles of opportunity to work on that farm. And one day that horse ran off into the mountains. It's terrible news. The villagers heard of it. It's a small village. News spreads fast. And they came to him and they said, oh, what terrible news that this horse has run off. How will you ever get your work done? And the farmer looked at them and he said simply, good, bad. Who can tell? Well, the villagers were a little bewildered, but they went back to their day, and soon that horse came back. And as it did, it came with a wild pack of, a wild herd of horses that for some reason just followed it back. Well, this was a huge boon to the farmer, and they immediately penned up the horses, and now all of a sudden he had this opportunity for huge economic growth, or maybe more workhorses on the farm. And the villagers heard of this, and of course they came and said, wow, who knew that, 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 that this would lead to that, and now you have all these wonderful horses. Well, the farmer looked at them the same way, and he said, good, bad, who can tell? Now, his son was eager to put all these new horses to work and to maybe sell some of them for some money, so he jumped on their backs and began to try and break them and ride them. And, of course, he was thrown from one of these horses and severely broke his arm and his leg. Well, this was very tragic. I mean, not knowing how he would heal or anything about this injury, the farmer was in great distress over this. And the villagers, of course, even more distressed than he, came and just said, oh, you know, we really thought that this was good, but now it's turned bad, and who knew from these events what would come? Well, he looked at them the same as he had before, and he said, good, bad, who can tell? Now, a war had broken out in the land, and a few weeks later, soldiers from their country came and conscripted all young and able-bodied young men. As the villagers watched their able-bodied young sons crest the hill and over the horizon, They came back to the farmer again and said, who knew that such a long string of events would lead to your son being spared while ours have to go off to an uncertain fate and maybe even death? 
And the farmer looked at them again, simply said, good, bad, who can tell? Dr. Claypool would always end this story with a phrase, something along the lines of, there's simply not enough information at our fingertips to understand from today what is going to happen tomorrow. And even if there was, none of us are brilliant enough to understand those facts. He would couch this story with phrases like, life is gift and despair is presumptuous. The message was to be reminded of one simple fact as he continued his lesson, that while we, not, we do not know the mystery of what tomorrow holds, we are connected to the most intimate and generous being in the entire universe. One thing you need to know about John Claypool is that he spoke these words as a person who had lost his 13-year-old daughter to leukemia years before. Through all of the intense darkness, pain, and sorrow that he had had to move through, he was able to offer to the entire community of faith those three words, life is gift. We've all inherited this breath of life free of charge. None of us asked for it. None of us could decline that gift. Certainly none of us did anything before being created to earn that gift. And now similarly we come to the inheritance of Christ crucified and resurrected in the manner of a human being still only able to say those same things. Life is gift. Where once death reigned, now life flows abundantly. All of us live different lives and our stories are as varied as the stars in the universe. I wish that I could offer answers for why our human experiences can be so difficult and how some of us sing songs of grief instead of songs of joy. And my response is a short, I don't know. But what I do know is that the same God who has offered us such an inheritance as the gift of life and the inheritance of Christ that Paul talks about in Ephesians, that that God is alive and working in your life, in all of our lives. Earlier, I borrowed a term from John Claypool when I referred to God as the ingenious alchemist. Claypool believed, and I do as well, that while we may not always know why something has happened in our lives, that we can put our faith in God and know that it will be transformed into something different, into something beautiful, into something for good. Now, that's not the same thing as saying all things happen for a reason. It's far from that. In fact, it's more like saying nothing will happen for no reason. And this is our inheritance if you will receive it. A loving and intimate God experiencing with you your joy and your sorrow. As we suffer and tears stream down our face, we turn to the Creator and find that tears are already streaming down the Creator's face. As we celebrate, we turn in joy and find the Creator already jumping up and down. But when we are suffering, I believe in that moment we receive a promise of something like this, I know, I'm sorry, and I'm here. If you give me this, I will transform it into something else. I will bring life. We have or are putting away our nativity scenes. We know that the baby grows up and we will soon focus on Lent and the crucifixion of Christ that follows. Our God knows pain and suffering. Then we will put away the somber mood of Good Friday and we will celebrate the resurrection whether you come in joy or you come in sorrow, the living God is with you.
whether you sit in this sacred space with us and feel happiness or pain, or more likely a mixture of emotions because the human situation is a little complicated. The promise of our inheritance is clear. The Holy Spirit resides in us. Our God will celebrate your joys and weep in your sorrows and will always draw you back unto God's self. I would like to end our time today by reading through some of the verses from Jeremiah 37 found in the lectionary. As the prophet describes God drawing back Israel and Ephraim unto himself, I would like for you to close your eyes and hear what do these images call you towards? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning as I read these words? With weeping they shall come, and with consolation I will lead them back. I will let them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I have become a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd a flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness for the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall become like a watered garden, and they shall never languish again. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and old men be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will give their priests their fill of fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with my bounty, says the Lord. God is with you.